Welcome to the March 10th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, we'll focus on two reports on clinical outcomes following COVID-19 vaccination in patients with hematologic malignancies. Despite full or partial vaccination, these patients have an increased risk of poor outcomes compared to matched controls or the general population. In a third report, we discuss new data on HLA mismatching and outcomes of haploidentical transplants. Let's start with the article entitled, Effectiveness of the BNT162B2M RNA COVID-19 Vaccine in Patients with Hematological Neoplasms in a Nationwide Mass Vaccination Setting by Moshe Middleman of the Tel Aviv-Saraski Medical Center in Israel and colleagues. In this study of more than 32,000 vaccinated patients with blood cancers, the risk of unfavorable COVID-19-related outcomes was substantially higher than in matched controls. The authors indicate that their results point toward a need for additional vaccine doses or other ways to boost immunity in these patients. First, some background. In randomized clinical trials, the Moderna mRNA-1273 and Pfizer-BNT162B2 vaccines demonstrated protection against COVID-19 in the mid-90% range. In the real-world mass vaccination setting, These vaccines are very effective against a wide range of COVID-19-related outcomes, including severe illness, hospitalization, and death. However, questions remain regarding the efficacy of these vaccines in patients with solid tumors or hematologic malignancies. These patients are already at high risk of COVID-19-related morbidity and mortality due to impaired immunity. In earlier studies, patients with blood cancers have had lower seroconversion rates after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine as compared to healthy individuals. But those studies haven't been powered to analyze COVID-19-related outcomes. Now, reports are emerging that illustrate a higher risk of poor outcomes despite COVID-19 vaccination in patients with hematologic malignancies. One report comes from investigators in Israel. That country has a national policy encouraging cancer patients to get vaccinated. As a result, most patients with blood cancers have received at least two consecutive doses of BNT162B2 through the national vaccination program. The present study was based on patients in Klalit Health Services, the largest health service organization in Israel. Investigators included more than 32,000 patients with hematologic neoplasms. About 5,000 were actively receiving treatment for their disease. All of these patients were matched to vaccinated patients without hematologic neoplasms as controls. The median age of the patients was 70 years, and 48% were female. Compared to controls, more patients with hematological neoplasms had a history of immunosuppressive treatment, liver disease, and chronic kidney disease, but fewer had a history of diabetes, hypertension, smoking, or a BMI greater than 25. The investigators found that vaccinated patients with hematological neoplasms had a higher incidence of documented COVID-19 infections compared to controls, with a risk ratio of 1.60. They also had a higher incidence of other adverse outcomes. The risk ratios were 1.72 for symptomatic disease, 3.13 for COVID-19-related hospital admissions, 2.27 for severe COVID-19, and 1.66 for COVID-19-related death. 
Among the subset of patients undergoing active treatment, the risk ratios were higher across the board. 2.74 for documented COVID-19 infection, 3.09 for symptomatic disease, 10.81 for hospital admissions, 8.97 for severe disease, and 19.31 for death. More than half of the patients in the study had lymphoma. Investigators observed similar trends for these patients compared to controls, with relative risks of severe disease and death of 12.06 and 15.13, respectively. Similar trends were seen for the nearly 3,000 patients in the study with multiple myeloma. For other hematologic malignancies, the numbers were too small to analyze. Investigators also analyzed the impact of specific treatments. They found that vaccinated patients on erythropoietin or rituximab were more adversely affected by COVID-19 than controls. The numbers were too small for other treatments, such as azacitidine, bortezomib, daratumumab, hydroxyurea, ibrutinib, lenalidomide, obinutuzumab, and bisphosphonates. What can we take away from this specific study? The rates of documented COVID-19 infection, symptomatic disease, hospitalization, severe disease, and death were higher in vaccinated blood cancer patients as compared to vaccinated controls. Risks were especially high in patients on treatment, but it's not clear whether that is due to the treatment itself, more advanced underlying disease, impaired immunity, or even more frequent hospital visits. While there's no direct link, the apparent reduced vaccine effectiveness in this study appears to correlate with earlier reports that patients with hematologic malignancies don't produce high titers of anti-SARS-CoV-2 antibodies. One question not addressed by this study is the impact of a booster shot. Middleman and co-authors looked at patients in Israel vaccinated through February 2021, and it wasn't until the end of July 2021 that Israel made available a third dose of the BNT162b2 vaccine. Nevertheless, this study provides a very useful estimate of the effectiveness of the vaccine in patients with hematological malignancies. Now let's look at another report entitled COVID-19 in Vaccinated Adult Patients with Hematological Malignancies, Preliminary Results from EpiCovid EHA, by Livio Pagano of Università Cattolica del Sacro Cuore in Rome, Italy, John Salmonton Garcia of the University of Cologne in Cologne, Germany, Francesco Marchesi of the Regina Elena National Cancer Institute in Rome, Italy, and colleagues. This is a report on the first fully or partially vaccinated patients with hematologic malignancies to be included in a registry called epicovid eha which aims to describe the epidemiology of COVID, from EHA, the European Hematology Association. However, it's not the first report from the epicovid eha registry. In a study published this past October, authors confirmed a high risk of lethal complications of COVID-19 among patients with blood cancers. Out of 3,801 validated cases of patients with hematologic malignancies who were infected with SARS-CoV-2, the overall mortality rate was approximately 31%. Since January of 2021, the epicovid eha registry has been accruing data on adult patients with hematologic malignancies who were partially or fully vaccinated but nevertheless developed COVID-19. In the current report, Investigators share their findings for the first 113 of these patients to be included in the registry. 
The patients were considered fully vaccinated if they had the final dose at least 14 days after they started to experience COVID-19-related symptoms or had a positive PCR test. The 113 COVID-19 episodes among partially or completely vaccinated patients with hematologic malignancies were reported by 42 centers in 14 countries. 61% of the patients were male, and 86% were over 50 years of age. The underlying malignancy was lymphoproliferative in more than 80% of cases, mainly CLL and NHL. 68% were receiving treatment for their malignancy at the time of COVID-19 or within the previous three months. Most of these patients received an mRNA vaccine, including the Pfizer-BNT162B2 vaccine in 70% and Moderna in 18%. The remaining 12% received vector-based or inactivated vaccine. About three-quarters were fully vaccinated. Viral genomes were analyzed in about one-third of cases, revealing that the alpha variant was the most frequently observed variant. Post-vaccine IgG levels against SARS-CoV-2 spike protein were analyzed in 40 patients. Antibody response to vaccine was observed in just 13 cases, or about one-third. Only eight of the 13 responses were classified as optimal, and five were weak. COVID-19-related outcomes were frequently unfavorable in this cohort of 113 patients. Severe or critical infections were reported in 79 patients, or 60.4%. 75 patients, or 66%, were admitted to the hospital, 21% were admitted to an ICU, and 10 out of the 16 required mechanical ventilation. 14 out of 113 patients died within 30 days of COVID-19 diagnosis, for a mortality rate of 12.4%. In all but one of the patients, COVID-19 was the main or secondary cause of death. 10 of the 14 patients, or 71%, had underlying lymphoproliferative malignancies. The mortality rate was 15.4% in partially vaccinated patients, which was not statistically different than the mortality rate of 11.5% in fully vaccinated patients. Patients achieving a serological response had a mortality rate of 13.3%, which again was not statistically different than the 15.6% mortality rate among non-responders. In multivariable analysis, age was the only factor independently related to the risk of death in vaccinated patients. So, what can be concluded from these two studies? One based on mass vaccination in Israel, and the other based on an international registry. In their accompanying commentary, Lee Greenberger and Gwen Nichols of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society write that the studies demonstrate a clear risk of significant breakthrough infection after vaccination in patients with hematologic malignancies, pointing to a need for public health guidance. However, both studies have important limitations. The data reflect a time before the Delta and then Omicron variants became the predominant viral strains. In addition, the number of patients are too small to tease apart differences in outcomes for specific types of malignancies. Moreover, the studies don't shed any light on the cause of impaired immune response in these patients. Greenberger and Nichols emphasize a need to develop treatments for patients at high risk of COVID-19 infections or poor COVID-19-related clinical outcomes. Studies underway are evaluating the effectiveness of monoclonal antibodies given before exposure in high-risk patients, which include immunocompromised patients with hematologic malignancies, especially those on active treatment or at high risk of developing a COVID-19 infection.
Lastly, we discussed the research article entitled HLA Informs Risk Predictions After Haploidentical Stem Cell Transplantation with Post-Transplantation Cyclophosphamide by Ephraim Fuchs of the Sidney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Center at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore and Shannon McCurdy of the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and colleagues. Fuchs, McCurdy, and co-authors analyzed more than 1,400 haploidentical transplants to determine that it's not the number of matched alleles, but rather the specific location of the HLA mismatch that informs clinical outcomes. Thanks to improvements in efficacy and safety, including the use of post-transplantation cyclophosphamide to reduce risk of graft-versus-host disease, or GVHD, the use of haploidentical transplantation has increased considerably in the United States. The probability is greater than 90% that a patient will have at least one haploidentical family member, meaning a relative that shares one complete HLA haplotype plus a variable number of differing alleles on the non-shared haplotype. Haploidentical transplantation can be expeditious for patients who need urgent transplantation due to high-risk malignancies, or for patient populations such as African Americans that have a lower likelihood of having a suitable unrelated donor. Which donor to select, however, remains an unresolved issue, and many patients can have multiple suitable haploidentical donors to choose from. Evidence is scant on how to select the best donor. In previous work, McCurdy and Fuchs recommended a donor selection algorithm that takes into account donor age and sex, donor-specific antibodies, ABO match, and cytomegalovirus serostatus. The importance of HLA in selecting donors is less clear than it is in the setting of unrelated donor transplantations without post-transplantation cyclophosphamide. In that setting, it's known that increased numbers of donor HLA mismatches negatively impact survival. In addition, locus and sequence features of the mismatched alleles can have clinical implications after unrelated transplantation. For example, HLA match or permissive mismatch correlates with less acute GVHD and better survival on one hand and more frequent disease recurrence on the other. In the current study, investigators sought to study the impact of HLA locus mismatching after haploidentical transplantation with post-transplant cyclophosphamide. Their retrospective study represents the largest clinical cohort to date studying the effects of individual and combined HLA locus mismatching in this setting. They used HLA typing and clinical data from the Center for International Blood and Marrow Transplant Research. The dataset included 1,434 patients with AML, ALL, or MDS who had undergone haploidentical-related donor transplantation with post-transplant cyclophosphamide between 2008 and 2017 at 111 centers. Overall, 34.7% of the patients experienced grade 2 to 4 acute GVHD within 100 days of transplant. The proportion of grade 3 to 4 acute GVHD in that time frame was 9.3%. Cumulative incidence of chronic GVHD was 25.8% over the course of a year. Over three years, the cumulative incidence of non-relapse mortality was 19.7%, and cumulative incidence of relapse was 39.1%. Also, over that three-year time period, overall survival was 52.5% and disease-free survival was 41.3%. First, the investigators sought to determine whether the number of matched alleles influenced clinical outcomes. Patients and donors were all matched for HLA-A, B, C, DRB1, and DQB1 alleles on the shared haplotype 
and matched for any number of those five alleles on the non-shared haplotype. Most pairs were matched for five or six out of ten alleles at HLA-A, B, C, DRB1, and DQB1. 65% were matched for five out of ten, while 22% were matched for six out of ten. Compared to patients matched for five alleles, hazard ratios for relapse were 1.06 for six matches and 1.35 for seven matches, with a p-value of 0.03. However, no significant associations were demonstrated between number of matched alleles and risk of GBHD. Transplant-related mortality, disease-free survival, or overall survival. Next, they sought to determine whether clinical outcomes differed based on the specific locus of mismatch. They found that HLA-DRB1 mismatches decreased the risk of relapse, with a hazard ratio of 0.65. Non-permissive HLA-DPB1 mismatches were associated with decreased mortality, with a hazard ratio of 0.59. Finally, HLA-B leader mismatching was linked to higher transplant-related mortality and lower overall survival with hazard ratios of 1.43 and 1.23, respectively. Based on those findings, the investigators were motivated to look further to see if any two locus combinations were associated with outcomes after haploidentical transplant. One combination they looked at was HLA-B leader matching and HLA-DRB1 mismatching. While both of these had beneficial effects individually, together their effect was additive with respect to better disease-free survival and lower relapse risk. Similarly, they found that HLA-DRB1 mismatched and DQB1 matched patients had the highest disease-free survival compared with those who were matched at both loci, mismatched at both, or else HLA-DRB1 matched and DQB1 mismatched. Putting it all together, the investigators have created an online calculator that is designed to aid in prospective selection of haploidentical donors. The calculator, available at haplodonorselector.b12x.org estimates one- and two-year disease-free survival based on this study's data. In a commentary on this study, Katharina Fleischhauer of University Hospital Essen in Germany said the investigators have unraveled the role of patient-donor HLA matching in haploidentical transplantation for acute leukemias and MDS. She states that the study is an elegant demonstration that the HLA barrier has not been erased but needs to be adjusted for patients undergoing haploidentical stem cell transplantation with post-transplant cyclophosphamide. Rather than the number of HLA mismatches, it's locus-specific effects that explain the impact of HLA matching status on outcome, Fleischhauer writes. That's a finding that is not only practical, but also serves to remind us that qualitative, not quantitative effects are essential to understanding patient-donor HLA disparities. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.